give me a wave if you like fish. Most half, some don't. Oh, some don't. Interesting, controversial already. So I thought there'd be a few more. Anyway, uh, it seems like the early Christians were big fans of fish. And so you might recognize this ancient symbol, the ichthys, um, which is Greek for fish. The early, early Christians used to use this symbol to help them identify other, other Christians when they were facing uh, persecution from the Romans. And then uh, in the 1960s, uh, it was sort of picked up and, and popularized, and now people might call it the Jesus fish or something like that. And so occasionally, less often now, but especially back um, in, the, in, the, in my early days, in the 80s and so on, then you'd see bumper stickers eh, with, a, with, a, with a Jesus fish on the back of it. And uh, there's other parodies that you might have seen, like the fish with legs on it and so on, which is, um, yeah, anyway, interesting. So, yes, yeah, that's it. So it's like the, it's the Jesus fish, but but what's the big deal with fish? And I I think that as we we can actually learn something about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus when we when we look at fish in the Gospels, this is this is the fish message. This might go down in history as the fish fish message, right? The fishy message. It sounds fishy, yeah. There we go. You can join Peter's old people group. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm somewhere. I'm somewhere in the middle. Way can't go to the young people's group. Can't get the old ones. Anyway, shocking. What's that? Midlife crisis. Midlife crisis. Yeah, totally. I think that's true. So today we're going to look at fish. Look at fish in the Gospels, and uh, and I think as we do this, we're going to like be able to grab hold of uh, God's dynamic, present power for us. So you go, how does fish connect with that? So let's have a look. Let's have a find, have, have a look, and we'll find out. So in a, in a moment, we're, we're going to dive into a story that comes at the end of the Gospel of John. But I want to set a bit of background, a bit of context. So this story, which is about fishing, takes place in the days after Jesus' resurrection. And in these days, Jesus, he seems, to, he seems to appear, and then he disappears. And it's all very strange, and it's kind of unusual. And, and gradually, his, his followers are kind of getting their heads around uh, the idea that he, he really has risen from the dead, that he's alive and he is Lord. So I just want to read this. This is uh, John, uh, John 21, verse 1. <clears throat> it says this, Later, Jesus appeared. So again, he's, he's, being dis- he's being disappeared, and now he's appeared. Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So out they went in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped down for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. So that's about 90 meters. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. I think I forgot to, um, oops, no, it was all right. 
Here we go. Here we go, the second part. Bring the fish you've got, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. This is a a picture of the Sea of Galilee. I haven't been there. Some some people might have. eh? Have anybody been to the Sea of Galilee? I haven't been. It's a pretty decent size. Here's some stats. It's a decent-sized freshwater lake. It's about the twice the size of Te Whanganui Atara, so the Great Wellington Harbour. The Galilee is about twice the size of, of our harbour. And, and interesting, it's about 230 metres below, below sea level. So Mount Vic is about 200 metres above sea level. So Galilee is about 230 metres below sea level, but it's a freshwater fish. And, and the shape of it, like you've got all these steep hills around it, and it means that you can have beautiful uh, moments like in this photo. I'd really like to go there one day, I think. Be, you know, beautiful moments, still waters. And then, and then other times you can have winds that rush down the hills and you end up with like major, you know, massive violent storms like we never have uh, <laughs> in Wellington. <laughs> and so back, so back to this moment, like Jesus on the beach. I really, this is what one of, I think one of my favorite stories about Jesus. He's on, the, he's on the beach and he's making breakfast and he's got a charcoal barbecue going. And he's cooking up fish. When I uh, was reading the story when I was younger, often the translations I'd read, they'd, they'd, they'd say he, he broiled the fish. Anyone seen that kind of thing? He broiled the fish? And I had no idea what broiled meant. And I thought this was Jesus boiling fish, like with a big saucepan boiling fish. And I thought, that sounds horrendous. I don't want... <laughs> but he, he wasn't. He was, he was barbecuing fish. He was broiling fish. I think it might be a bit more American, maybe. I don't know. But um, there he is. He's cooking up the fish. And the fish, if you're interested, and I am, this, this might be the kind of fish that he was, he was cooking up. It's uh, called um, tilapia galilea, and it's, a, and it's a fish that's common in the Sea of Galilee. So they used to kind of def- uh, divide fish, they kind of define them by small fish and large fish. Small fish might be sardines and that kind of thing, which, again, you see in the Gospels, and large fish might be this one. Yeah, that's about, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's probably more like jo- the fish that swallowed Jonah that size, eh? But, and so, and you read the story, and it doesn't tell us where Jesus got his fish, but somehow Jesus already has this fish cooking when the disciples arrive with their, you know, with their net of 153 fish. And he also has bread. And, and I'm picturing, this is what I'm imagining, I'm actually getting pretty hungry as we speak, but I'm imagining a fish burgers, you know, with some sort of same aioli on it, oh, and like lemon or something like that, or maybe a fish buddy for breakfast. Oh, yeah, actually, I'm yeah, starting to dribble a bit. <laughs> breakfast was like six, four hours ago. Anyway, so, but if you go back to the, let's go back to the start of the story. Okay, that's the end of the story, right? Barbecue on the, barbecue on the beach. If you go back to the start, you have seven other disciples. You've got Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and you've got the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And, and two others, and I reckon one of, the, one of the two others is probably Andrew. That's um, Simon Peter's brother, who was an, also a fisherman. And they're in this, like, this weird period, right? This extraordinary period, but it's kind of weird because, you know, Jesus is, has died and, he, and he's been resurrected. Jesus is this man that they followed for, for a few years. 
And when, when they began to follow Jesus, they left everything they had to follow him because they believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was the one that had been prophesied, had been promised by God, who had come to bring them freedom, who had come to bring healing and life uh, to, to people who believed in him. And Jesus had personally called them to follow him, and, and they did. And then, and then it all went wrong. You know? They had three years of it all going right, and then it all went wrong. And instead of overthrowing the oppressors, and, and I, I've been watching Jack Black movies recently, instead of sticking it to the man, it all went wrong. And, the, and he was betrayed, and he was arrested, and then he was killed. And then a few days later, he was, he was raised from the dead. And, the, and now, things, now things are different. Now things are different than they were before. And so, you know, like I mentioned, rather than, rather than just staying with the disciples and, and going from town to town, they'd follow him wherever he went. It seems like Jesus would appear, like he'd appear in a room or he'd appear to people walking along the road, and then, and then he'd be off somewhere. He'd disappear. And when you, when you read the story uh, in, at the end of John, it, it seems like the disciples are at a bit of a loose end. Like, what do you do? And so Peter goes, oh, I'm going fishing. I'm going off fishing. What, like, what would you do like, if, if you're in this situation? Well, the, what the disciples do is, that, is they go back to what they were doing before they first met Jesus, which, which for them, which for at least four of them, was, was fishing. This was like their, this is the way they made a living. And I don't want to be harsh, you know. I'm not a fisherman, but it seems that actually they're just not very good because <laughs> they're out all night fishing and they catch nothing. But if you're familiar with the Bible, if you've read uh, other, uh, other stories in the Bible, then, then you might, it might remind you of another story, and it happens in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5. So a few years earlier, three years earlier, uh, Jesus had just begun his ministry, going from town to town, uh, healing people, setting people free from demons, and announcing the kingdom of God, announcing the good news of the kingdom of God, and people are flocking to hear him, eh? They just, they just want to be near him and listen to him. And so he arrives at the Sea of Galilee, he arrives to the, to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's so many people pressing in on him uh, that, that he has an idea, and he, and he sees an empty boat, and he asks his owner, can I stand in your boat while you push, push this boat out? And Jesus' idea that he's going to sit in this boat, and he's going to preach to the people that are on the shore. And so that's what happens. And then Jesus finishes teaching. When he finishes teaching the people on the shore, he asks the owner, and it turns out the owner is Simon Peter. Jesus asks him to take the boat out into deep, deeper waters and to throw out the nets. And this is what Simon Peter says. We've been fishing all night and we didn't catch a thing. They've got to choose a different profession. We've been fishing all night and didn't catch a thing. But, but since you've asked, since you've asked, we'll, we'll give it a go. And so they go out and, and in this story, this one in, in Luke, they catch so many fish that the nets begin to tear, and they actually need more boats. And so they call other boats over to, to haul in this miraculous catch of fish. And then Simon Peter, seeing what's happening, he then falls to his knees and he says, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. And then, but Jesus replies, he goes, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And, and, then from, and, then, and then Simon Peter and, and his fishing companions, which includes James and John and, and I'm guessing Andrew as well, they, they leave everything behind and they follow Jesus at that moment. And so these two stories are pretty similar, eh? Fishing stories. Fishermen 
They're meant to be professionals, out all night, catching nothing. I think God is in this somehow, eh? Out all night, they're catching nothing, and then Jesus turns up. He gives some divine instructions, which they, which they listen to, and they catch loads of fish. So on one level, they're quite similar. But, I, but there's this world between these stories. Almost the entire earthly ministry of Jesus happens between these two stories. Like the time that Jesus, uh, there was times, actually two times, that Jesus fed multitudes of people, thousands of people, with just a few, a few bits of bread and a few small fish. Like I say, this is, the, this is the sermon about fish, right? Or when Jesus calmed the storm when they were out in the boat and on the lake. Or the moment when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Or when Jesus called dead and probably quite smelly Lazarus out of the grave and Lazarus comes back to life, still in his grave clothes. All these incredible moments happen between these two stories, between these two fishing stories. In, in Jesus' ministry, he, he demonstrated the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God was, was here in him, in Jesus. The future reality that they hoped for, this, this moment in the future when God was going to make God was going to make all things right, was happening now in the person of Jesus. It's happening now. And so I wonder, like in the first fishing story, you know, when Jesus first met Jesus, when Jesus first invites these fishermen to follow him, I wonder if they're all quite caught up in it all. They're quite awestruck by this guy. Here's this man of God, right, doing amazing things, doing signs and wonders, and he's healing people, and he's a prophet, and everybody wants to be near him. And so when he says, follow me, you know, they follow him. I mean, you and I would probably do the same thing. You'd want to follow a man like that. And then, and then later on, like Jesus talks about how he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed, but it seems like they just don't really understand what he's on about. And they, see, they say big, big things like, yeah, we'll, we'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Where you go, we'll go. Or they even say that, uh, like, we'll even die for you, Jesus. We'll be killed for you. Or Jesus, yeah, we can drink the cup that you're going to drink from. Things like that. But, so, but I think in their minds, they didn't, they didn't imagine what was, going to, what was going to take place. And I think in their minds they thought, ah, oh, this is, here's my favorite word as well that I always stumble over, trajectory. Wow, I love it, hey? I love writing it, but I don't like saying it. Trajectory. Anyway, they, 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 see, they see this guy and say, oh, man, your trajectory is on the up. You're on the ascent. We're going to get on the ground floor because you're on the way up. They, don't, they just can't comprehend that it might go in any other direction because they recognized him as the promised Messiah, you know, the son of the living God. You should have a look at Matthew chapter 16 sometimes and, and see like this, this, this uh, I don't know, this, um, what's the word? It's almost like juxtaposition of at one moment, like recognizing that Jesus is the son of God and then Jesus saying, but I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed and, and see the confusion that the disciples experience. They can't comprehend that this man will be betrayed and killed. And they can't, you know, they, they see Jesus on the ascent, and they, but they can't imagine how, how low Jesus will go, how far he'll descend to actually achieve his mission. And so they follow Jesus, you know, through all the highs, through all the good times. But then when Jesus is betrayed and arrested and, and beaten up and tortured and murdered, the only disciple that's recorded to be present when Jesus was, was on the cross was John. Judas, who you might have heard of, Judas had, had betrayed Jesus and, and then went and killed himself. 
And the rest of the disciples, they all fled, probably for their lives. Peter, at least, attempted to follow Jesus, but he just kind of wanted, it seems like he just wanted to see what was going on. And, and eventually he, he, he denied even knowing Jesus. And remember, this is the Peter who said, I'm going to, I'll die for you, Jesus. And then he, just, then he denies even knowing Jesus. And so if we go back to John 21, the fishing story, they've seen, they've seen Jesus resurrected. They've seen him at least a couple of times. But it seems to me like they just don't know what to do. Jesus is resurrected. He appears, but then he disappears. And so what, what do they do? What do you want to do? Are they still followers of Jesus? Do they even want to follow Jesus? Now that they know what it actually means to follow Jesus, now that they actually realize that, that, that there is a cost to following Jesus, that when Jesus says, follow me, that, that maybe it does mean that they have to lay down their lives. Or when Jesus first called Peter, he says, you're going to be a fisher of men. Is, is Peter's calling still to be a fisher of men? He's denied Jesus. He's, he's, he's left Jesus. Is, he, is it we still be a fisher of men? Is that calling still there? So I, I, this, is my, this is how I see it. I, I think they just don't know what to do. And they're like, okay, let's go fishing. And Peter goes, I'm going fishing. And all the others, they don't know what to do. But they go, yeah, we'll go fishing too. And they catch nothing. All night, no fish. And I wonder too, if they, so they're out all night fishing. And night time is a long time. If you've been up in the night and trying to sleep or trying to get kids to sleep, night's a long time. So there'll be like a bit of, bit of chit-chat going on, making fun of each other, going, oh, Peter, you're such a rubbish fisherman. Oh, no, it's all your fault, Andrew. You're a stink brother. Oh, you stink, or things like that, or whatever it is. But then some moment, like in the night, they kind of go, they say, remember, they go, oh, remember that other time that we didn't catch any fish? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, right? That was, we were out all night, and we didn't catch any fish. And then, and then Jesus turns up. And so I wonder, this is, I wonder if like right in the middle, this is not in the Bible, okay? It's just my imagination. I just wonder, right in the middle of this conversation that's going on, they hear this person calling out from the beach. And, and it, says, it says that they, they, uh, they couldn't see him. So they could hear his voice, but they couldn't, they couldn't recognize him because he was slightly too far away. And he calls out, fellas, because <laughs> he's 90-odd meters away. Fellas, have you caught any fish? Which I think is, is pretty funny, right? Because Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows that they haven't caught any fish. Hey, fellas, have you caught any fish? They call back, no, <laughs> we haven't caught any fish. And he goes, okay, throw your nets on the other side. And they'll be thinking, well, it doesn't make any sense. Like if the fish are, if, if the fish are there, that's going to be, you know. But anyway, they do what he says because they listen to his voice. I wonder if even at this moment they go, hang on a second. <laughs> Something's going on here. Maybe I recognize that voice. Well, maybe the story sounds a little bit like what's happening is like what we've heard before. So they throw the nets and they bring it all, you know, they try to haul it in and they can't haul it in because they've got all the big fish, right? Philippia, Galilee, or something like that. And then there's this moment of recognition of the disciple Jesus, the disciple that Jesus loved, which is John. He goes, It's the Lord. And so it's classic, like classic Bible comedy. Uh, 
Peter is there. He's stripped down for work. He's just there with his jockeys on. And he's like, it's the Lord, so I'm going to put all my clothes on and swim to the shore, right? Okay, that's what he does. Puts on all his clothes on and swims to the shore. He's just so desperate, right, to be there. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so what do they do? Like now, now that they know what it truly means to follow Jesus, are, are they still in? Do they still want to follow Jesus? What if, what if following Jesus means like, like betrayal? Your friend's betraying you. What if it means persecution or, or death or, or giving up things that you really want to do? <laughs> and, then, and then Peter, you know, like no second thought, say, He's just so desperate to be near Jesus. He's like, oh, it's the Lord. I just want to be near you. And so he leaps, puts on his clothes and leaps out of the boat, swims to shore. <laughs> yeah, maybe he thought he could walk on the water. Yeah, maybe he did. I didn't think about that. But this, this is the Simon Peter. Remember, this is the Simon Peter who, when he first met Jesus, when he first recognized that Jesus was the Lord, he says, like, go away from me, Lord. I can't be near you because I'm a sinful man. And, and now he's just doing whatever he can to be near. He, know, he knows, I think, that even though he is a sinful man, that Jesus still will welcome him. He still wants to be near him. And so poor Peter, he does whatever he can to be near. And, and this is actually the last time we hear of Peter uh, attempting to fish. I mean, he didn't catch anything, right? So attempting to fish. This is the last we hear of, Jesus, of, of Peter being a, being a fisherman. He gives it all up to follow Jesus, to be, to be a fisher of men, to tell people about Jesus and to, and to lead them to salvation, to eternal life in Jesus. And it's just like completely staggering to me that it's Jesus, the one who knows all things, omniscient, He's the resurrected Lord. He's got the power over nature. He, uh, he is the resurrected Son of God. And here we've got Jesus, like, sitting on the beach, uh, cooking breakfast and serving his followers. Mm. A barbecue on the beach. Yeah, but this is, what he, this is what he does. This is what Jesus does all, like, over and over again. This is what he's like. He is the God who provides, and he is the God who gets down on his hands and knees and teaches us what it truly, like, truly looks like to be human, what it really looks like to bear God's image on earth to those around us. And, and what it looks like is actually making a fish burger on the beach. <laughs> like I say, I love the story. I think I've got a thing for fish burgers. So... There's just a couple of things, a couple more things I want to highlight uh, from this, from the story. And the, and the first one is this. The whole world is in God's hands. Uh, Psalm 50, uh, it's not that one there. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. The whole world is in God's hands, and He is, uh, and he is our, our provider. It's one of the names, not one of the names of God, Yahweh, Yaira, or, you know, you might be old school like me, and like, it's Jehovah Jireh, 
our provider, which means the Lord will provide. In, in these stories of Jesus and so many others, this is what we see him doing, uh, both before the resurrection and, and after the resurrection. He provides for people's needs. And, and sometimes I think we can, we can get quite stressed and we can get quite worried about the things that we don't have and the things that we, that we need or the things that we, we think we need. And, uh, but the Lord is our provider. And like a, few, a few weeks ago, I was getting quite wound up. Uh, can you imagine it? <laughs> yeah. oh, getting all wound up. Getting all wound up. And, and it was because I, I thought I didn't have enough time. I, there was so much to do, and I had, I had no time. That's what I felt like anyway. Like we're, you know, already meant, well, some of you already know that we're doing a, a, an extension on our house, building another room, and, and, and there's, there's quite a lot of work involved there. It was going to be a week of putting the roof on. Uh, there were loads of things to do here at CV. I mean, CV keeps me pretty busy, and, and obviously my other, uh, at my other job, there was so much to do, and I was, I was thinking about the week ahead, and I was getting quite overwhelmed, going, oh, I think uh, inside, actually, I just wanted to have a, have a bit of a break. I'm like, Lord, can I have a bit of extra time? This is, how, this is not how I pray. I don't pray by yelling. <laughs> okay. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, uh, side note, I don't know how I'm onto this tangent, but um, some of you, I've talked to you about it before, but I, I like pray, you know, when I wake up in the night and I'm trying to fall to sleep again, my best way to fall back to sleep is to try to pray for a while, and I always end up falling asleep while I'm praying. It's amazing. Anyway, I sh- maybe I should be yelling, Lord, Tess will go, what? <laughs> what are you about? Give her a heart attack. Um, anyway, I was like, pray, Lord, can you give me some extra time this week? Because I was kind of getting quite stressed about it. And then, and then just over the next few days, like circumstances just changed so, so much that, uh, that I even had, I had heaps of time. I even had time to like relax and pause and and have some, you know, decent moments actually just resting in God. What happened was we were going to be putting our roof on, and then the weather <laughs> caved in, right? So it was a weird answer to prayer. I mean, we've been praying for good weather, but at the same time I was praying, Lord, can you give me some extra time? And so that's what happened. He completely changed the circumstances. I was like, thank you, God. It was amazing to me. God is our, God is our provider, and God is the, the world's best problem solver. I mean, he's... He's omniscient. He, he created the universe. You know, when the, the, the disciples in the story, they're, they're a bit stuck, right? They're a bit stuck in their work. I've made fun of them being not very good fishermen, but this was their job, and they couldn't catch fish. And then Jesus, he calls out the solution. He provides the solution to their problem. When you, when you give your life to Jesus... When you, when you decide to follow Jesus and to, and to make him the Lord of your life, then he actually comes into your life. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart, which means that Jesus is with you all the time. I don't know how many exams and tests that, that at university and at school that I actually got divine help. I actually was cheating in exams, because I kept on praying, Lord, help me to know what I need to study. Or you're in the middle of an exam and I don't know, oh God, please give me some of your divine wisdom. And you're allowed to do that. <laughs> and, I'm, and, he, and, he, and he did help me, and it's incredible. I got divine help. I'd always be asking God for help. 
And I, so I think that and whether, we're, whether we're at school or at uh, university or at work, and we might have uh, like problems or difficulties of all different kinds, but we can cry out to God, go, Lord, would you provide for my needs? Would you give me help in this moment? And you'll be, you'll be amazed, actually. God is our provider. And the second one thing I want to highlight is this. Our walk with Jesus sometimes feels like it's, it's mo- like the moments in these two stories, the stories of the, the two fishing stories or the miraculous catches or whatever, whatever you want to call them. Sometimes when we, when we first hear about Jesus and when we first decide we want to follow him, we're like those, we're like those first disciples. We're just, we're just hearing about Jesus and hearing about how incredible he is. And we, and we want to follow him, but we actually don't at this moment know, uh, often we don't know what it's going to cost us. Maybe we don't even realize that there is a cost, but there is a cost to follow, following Jesus. He, he said it He said it himself. He, he sort of makes it quite hard, actually. He says, if, ever, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. I think that the disciples in the second fishing story, the second miraculous catch, the disciples in the boat after Jesus' resurrection, they'd they'd actually, they'd they'd realized, they'd seen what it actually means to follow Jesus. And yet they they still decided to count the cost and to follow him. Peter still follows Jesus. He still goes on to be a fisher of men. In fact, if you carry on reading that chapter, chapter 21 of John, you'll, you'll see the incredible way that Jesus restores Peter. And then prophesies and says, this is the way, this is the way you're going to die, Peter. This is the way you're going to die when you follow me. And yet Peter's going, Jesus, I will do that. His disciples, they decide to count the cost and follow him. Because he's, because he's worth it, and they realize that you're worth it. Now, every day, every day as, as followers of Jesus, we have moments uh, that we can choose to follow Jesus. It could be simple. It could be as simple as, as, as taking time to pray, taking time to read, read the Bible, uh, figuring, out, figuring out how to nurture our relationship with Jesus, figuring out how we can draw closer to him. Um, you know, I think regularly gathering and worshiping with other Christians is part of this, being part of church. It might be something bold and, and courageous like talking to people about Jesus, people who don't know him. This is, that's a cost. There's a cost there. Uh, offering to pray for somebody who, who needs healing, sometimes like putting yourself out there. There's a cost, right? It could be uh, acts of kindness and generosity, like giving away food, money, resources, like help to people who, who need it, whatever it is. And, I, and so this, this second, like the second moment, the, the moment in the boat, the second moment in the boat, it feels to me like a, like, a re, like a moment of recommitment, like a moment of going, do I really, do the disciples, do I really want to follow do I really want to follow Jesus? Do I still want to follow Jesus? Or, or perhaps in our lives we, we kind of, we might slip away from him. You know, things happen. We slip away from him. We go, oh. But then he calls, it, calls out to us, like he's from the beach. We can hear his voice and we can't quite see him. We go, 
fellas, James, do you want to come and hang out on the beach? I'm like, oh, yes, I do. And, you know, this is, this is recommitment. And again, like I don't know how many times I've asked for help for God in exams, and I don't know how many times in my life I've actually recommitted myself. I think I feel like I've become a Christian hundreds of times. Because Jesus is worth it. He's incredible. Can you imagine a God who makes a barbecue on the beach? He's so good. Can you imagine how good it tasted? Even the people who didn't like fish, was it the carnies? You don't like fish? Okay, other people, sorry. Sorry for pointing at you. <laughs> He's so good. So even when, we, even when we, we stuff up and we make mistakes, I mean, the disciples, when you see the things, they fled away from Jesus. You know, Judas Iscariot, he betrayed Jesus, and then, he, and then he felt so full of remorse and guilt that he killed himself. But he didn't have to. Jesus would have welcomed him back. Jesus had washed Judas' feet. He loved Judas. He would have welcomed him back. He welcomes us all back when we stuff up and make mistakes, even really, really bad ones. <laughs> even when we're really naughty. <laughs> he still welcomes us. Thank you, Jesus. And he invites us to that place of restoration in his company. And, you know, maybe for you, the place of restoration isn't a charcoal barbecue on the beach, or, or maybe it is. But we, wherever it is, Jesus invites us back to that place. That's it. Shall we stand and, and, we'll, and we'll pray and uh, just sort of invite the, invite the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are, you are incredible. You are so surprising and wonderful in all your ways. Thank you that you're here among us. Thank you, Lord, that you are inviting each of us here into eternal life in your company, in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you, you are the, you're, the, it's like you're the God of second chances or third chances or fourth chances. It's like you constantly seem to be inviting us to return to you. Thank you, Lord, that you make the way so that like, all, like our, our regrets or our guilt can actually be just trimmed right off us, like cut right off us, and we can walk freely like Peter diving out of that boat to be near you, knowing that you're going to welcome us back into your arms. Thank you, Jesus, that you're, you're always with us. That even now, Lord, you, you are ascended and seated at the right hand of God, and you're with us, and you will come once again. You're going to return once again. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you today. We welcome you today, Lord.